0: Welcome to Gay Peace Journeys Podcast. My name's Brian and I'm Paul, and we'll get going in three, two, one.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Gay Peace Journeys Podcast. Today we're talking about self acceptance. It was a topic i brought up to Paul and he's like yeah we need to talk about that on the podcast. So Paul we want to start.
0: Sure. So basically we were talking and you know what we kind of determined was that our self-image, the way we perceive ourselves is an important aspect to being free of the external tangles, you know that can derail us on our path to happiness and joy and contentment. And mostly this is formed before we are really aware as individuals, you know, what it is and how important that is and can be to us in our long-term life, you know. And though some of that does come from our families, it's not the only factor. Our experience, you know, has been religion, education, relationships, and social interactions all have major factors involved with that and impact us in the way that we view ourselves. So in today's podcast, we want to share, you know, how some of those factors influenced us in our personal lives and our personal perspectives you know the struggles it cost for us and then we'd like to share what you know we found on our personal journeys that have helped us to become more free of that so i guess what we should do is start you know with the most obvious and where most people blame all of their crap on what's <laughs> on their family Brian would you like to start Yeah, sure. I'd just like to say that my life would
1: have been better off if I'd have been better at self-acceptance all along. And I do think that stems from my formative years and my dad and I not resolving some of our issues. If you've listened to our earlier podcasts, you know that my dad died when I was in high school. And I really do think that if if my dad had lived long enough to see me in the happiest time of my life, he would have eventually come around and seen or even told me that he was proud of me, but he didn't live long enough to tell me that and I never had the chance to show him that. Um, So I always felt like I was a bit of a disappointment to him and to God for abandoning my religion at an early age. We'll get into that in a little bit too. But and I promise I'm not going to spend the whole podcast talking about, you
0: know, Oh, that, that's fine.
1: I mean, that's what we're here for. To show I mean, you can you can listen to earlier podcasts of ours if you want to get filled in on all that information. But Paul and I agreed that this is something we
0: should talk about, this self-acceptance. So how about your dad, Paul? Oh wow. Oh my dad is very special. And uh the truth is though, when I was young, we didn't have hardly anything in common. My dad I, I would say he was an aholic. <laughs> he was a workaholic and you know he liked to drink and Uh, He would get off. He would leave before we were awake. He would come home like at dark and he would have already been fishing and, you know, had some drinks and he would just come home and go to sleep. Pretty much. I didn't really get a lot of time with him, except on the weekends when, if he chose to be, if I was the one he picked to go fishing with, you know, he would take us out in a boat or whatever. And, you know, fishing wasn't really my forte with him. I was good with a cane pole, right? I could brim fish and all that kind of stuff, but uh, when it came to bass fishing with an open face reel, I would spend hours sitting there trying to pull that out. And, you know, at eight years old, it was really difficult to be expected to be able to be good at that, having never been shown. Sure. But you know, we never. He never, because I was the, I was the third boy, fourth boy. <laughs> And, you know, by the time it got to me, he was older. So he was an older parent. All my other friends' parents were younger, which was fine. And I think your parents were a little older, too, because you have much older sisters. But he never, I don't know if it never occurred to him that I never learned how to catch, that he never played any games with me. Like, it, sports with me never happened, ever. So, like, I was totally inept. They didn't teach you in school to how to play or how to catch or how to do any of that. They just threw you out there and said, go play at baseball. And then when you sucked at it, you were just labeled that way and you were last picked forever. And, you know, all that had scars, but we're not really talking about that right now. <laughs> but, well, yeah.
1: The, the younger me would have thought that these childhood issues would have resolved themselves long ago. But it's kind of funny how even as we get older, they
0: still keep popping up and affecting our lives in different ways. You know, it paints a shadow that you have to walk through forever. You know, it's, it's a stumbling block that that gets thrown there and it, it can be a serious hazard, you know, whenever we're just trying to be free and be in the now, right? Because that's when we're most happy is when we're here.
1: Yeah. Now I I should have realized that this was going to be a pattern in my life. One time when my mom was visiting us and he was, she was visiting Paul and myself, and it was the one time in my life that I was super happy. I, we had a beautiful new home. We were a happy new couple that she was seemingly accepting. And I had a job that I loved, and I everything was happy for me. It was a very good time in my life. And my mom said to me, your dad would have been so proud of you. And kapow, right at that moment, everything seemed to stop, and I couldn't get that out of my head, I guess you know, I wasn't really too concerned about my father's approval previous to this conversation, but all of a sudden it was important to me again to understand that relationship. Was I, um, you know, is it possible that my dad would have been proud of me? I, I don't know. I always kind of felt like I was a disappointment to him. And growing up as a Catholic, a disappointment to God. So that statement my mom made popped that conversation back into my head and I started debating it and I remember going into a bit of a depression after that and I I couldn't let go. Um, I spent way more time than is healthy thinking about that and, you know, I'm trying to figure out whether he would have been proud of me or not. I mean, I was in a gay relationship and we never established that, my father and I, in our relationship because he passed away before that was resolved and... You know, as far as the church goes, you know, I, I think he would have been disappointed in me for you know not keeping up my Catholic religion. So Wasn't the, that the
0: visit that your mother came and we couldn't
1: get the Christmas tree apart
0: and we had, yeah
1: we kind of had a fight in the
0: living room. We had a brand new floor and when the tree came down, we he had a, put a big dent in the floor. Giant
1: Christmas tree because we had a, a big high ceiling and uh, yeah, my mom watched us have an argument.
0: Yeah, it was probably I think it was our first argument we ever had too. Yeah, she was uh. It was about Christmas tree
1: too. Yeah, it was in front of my tree mom. down.
0: Yeah, that was that was interesting. But you know, it was a really good visit, and I really enjoyed your mother. Um, my mother was very important to me too. She basically nurtured some of those other aspects. That I mean, she knew that there was a gap there. My other brothers were very athletic. They played ball. They were on the basketball teams. They, you know, they were superstars in a lot of those aspects. Or you know, like my next older brother, uh, the one closest to me in age he was a great hunter, you know, I mean, like he, he could just go out and it was great. And I just never really gelled with those things. I mean, I can, I can shoot really well, but I just didn't, I didn't understand why we need to kill something when we have plenty of food, you know, and, and it was just, it never really gelled like that, but I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that it didn't resonate with me, but my mother, and if you go back in the podcast, you know, that my mother, after my first brother was killed, she was in mourning for like years and years and she got stuck in that and she was diagnosed with being bipolar and she was put in a mental institution, but like she was constantly like weeping over his picture. And I always felt like if I could have been, I wasn't good enough that, that she was so distraught by that, that it that it, it should have been me because she would have been happier. I mean, that was a thought that I had as a child. Um, but she did nurture the creative side of me, she took me to ceramics. You know, we painted together. She got these crafts once a month in the mail and we would do the crafts together. We built this giant train in the front yard. I mean, my mother was very, you know, with her hands. She could see things and and just really helped to establish that for me. And I think that's where I get a lot of that creativity. Plus, she was musical and, you know, she encouraged me to sing which later became a curse because my parents would have these big blowout parties for the insurance companies. Cause my dad was a, you know, he did an auto body repair and they would stand me up at like nine years old in front of like 20 drunks and make me sing hymns. And I'm sure that was a downer, you know, at the that party You
1: had a lasting
0: impression on your. <laughs> oh my God. It was he... horrifying. Like, why are they making me do this? It was, it wasn't that it was a horrible thing. It was just the absolute wrong time to do it, you know, and, I could feel that energy from those people.
1: And it's funny how those memories pop up and it brings us back to those emotions even in adulthood. Yes. That's kind of what I'm talking about with self-acceptance. Because, you know, like
0: even when I would perform later or be in front of a crowd, I, I would go back to that feeling of they really don't want me here. I'm just really taking up their time. They really wish I would go away. You know, that kind of thing. Those were the thoughts that were coming through. And it was based on that being stood up in front of all those people and making them listen to the, my son sing this song you know right so so triggers come up later on in life like the time my
1: mom at, uh, told me that my father would be proud and i couldn't really fathom that at the point at that point in my life and, you know, other things trigger us, you know, religious things. When you hear somebody talking about religion, you know, all of a sudden it triggers those same feelings. They come up again later on in life and it's doesn't, it doesn't, it seems to me no matter how old we get that they still happen.
0: Yeah. So let's spend a moment talking about how religion impacts our self-acceptance.
1: Well, Before we do that, let me just say that, you know, when they do pop up, I do have to consciously tell myself these are internalized thoughts and I do have control over them. In my heart and in my soul. And I know God wants me to be happy.
0: And, you know, because living a lie isn't really living at all. Well, I mean, we were created the way we were created on purpose. God doesn't make accidents. Everybody always says that. And if that's true, then to hide my talents under a bushel is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And I know that a
1: healthy life, as God intended, is only possible if you live authentically. I do know that, but I have to remind myself of that and i do think that my dad would have been proud of me if he had had the opportunity to see me be happy in my life cuz my dad always used to say you're never happy but if, i think if he would have seen me at that point in my life he'd have realized i was happy and perhaps been proud of me you know but those things are not really self acceptance those, are, no.
0: that's those like, are those are those are their symptoms they're they're aspects they're influencers right they're, they're looking they're the background music that's playing today because of what happened then.
1: That's me looking for self-acceptance externally to validate my feelings internally.
0: Right. So when when I referred to God earlier, just as a clarification, I'm referring more to the universe or, you know, the, the pathway. I'm not saying that. I'm not making a statement whether God does or doesn't exist, and if that's, you know, a, a stopping point for anyone listening. I'm just saying, for me, what I found in my spiritual path, there is... There is something that I appreciate there. And, you know, I'm not trying to force that on anybody. I'm just saying that I believe that everything is in alignment. Okay. So if you want to take it at that core, let's just leave it there. But religion does exist. And Brian and I were both brought up in different spectrums of religion. And that had a lot of bearing. I mean, Brian, you were very. You were enrolled and active in a lot of the aspects of church growing up, right? Yeah, it was a huge part of my life. And I mentioned before that
1: when I gave up my religion, I lost a bunch of my spirituality too. And it's been a lifelong journey regaining that spirituality back. And that self-acceptance was a big part of that. You know, if I can accept myself. I know, you know, that I am created by God or the universe and that I am part of it. And, um, I'm not really ashamed of who I am. I'm more proud of who I am because of that. You know, um, I think that they took away the, the religion in my past added a lot of shame, which denied my self-acceptance, you know, it kept me from being happy with myself, but, you know, belief
0: systems, right. It instilled some belief systems that how can I be this way if it's supposed to be this way and that they don't match. And yeah. there's a balance between the belief and what you, that self image that you have and then the reality. Right. So, yeah, I, I was in a very similar, but you're from the Catholic, uh, the Catholic, <laughs> the Catholic perspective and my parents were very Southern Baptist. So, I mean, it was, it was that way, but on the other end, right? And So, so yeah,
1: that didn't do a lot for ourselves. No,
0: I was there every time the doors were open. I remember being in the nursery and putting together the little wooden puzzles, you know. Um, every time the doors were open, I was in the church. I was in the choir. I was in Sunday school. I was in training union at night. I did the, you know, the children's choir, you know, which can be youth choir or, or whatever. And they would have youth nights, and I was there for that. I did all the little excursions that we did. I was in RAs. Um, I don't even know if they still have that anymore, (laughs) but, um, it was, it was my life. You know, that was my other family until I started understanding that the things they were talking about that were who they were against that were going to hell. Um, that was me. Like that's who I am. And, and it was really difficult for me and trying to talk to someone about that was even more taboo so it, it led me to a place and eventually I lost my family over it. I was disowned and, you know, cast out because like that just, you can't do those together. And how can, how can you be that way? And it's not like I chose it. It was more like my hair color, you know? I mean, it was always there. Yeah. And so,
1: whenever I've been to a psychologist in the past, he or she told me that I needed to work on my self-acceptance, my self-esteem and my self-love. You know, and um, I think that's where a lot of it stems from, you know, not being accepted by the church and perhaps my dad that took me down. that I internalized a lot of that, you know, self-acceptance issues, and I started to believe them myself. So. Well, and
0: how I saw the world was based off of my experience with what I had grown up with in that church, right? And then to come back and realize that I'm the outcast from that totally put me in a place where I couldn't accept myself. You know, and and I literally, from the time I was 12 and 13, would pray to God to kill me and not let me wake up. I mean, that was, I was one of those youths. I never really tried to commit suicide or anything, but it was always there. I always wished I wasn't me. So that's super
1: depressing. But what did you do to become, you know, aware of your self-acceptance
0: and love yourself? How did you do that? I did a lot of drugs. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say that was my initial way of dealing with that was just escapism, you know, anything I could do to get out of, of my head and not think. And
1: okay, but surely you're not telling somebody
0: that no, you do drugs. No, no, that was not the right path for me. And eventually, you know, I had to start looking at my addiction. And when I got in recovery at 18, because that's part of my story, um, I realized within, you know, the first three to six months that, acceptance was so important for me to be able to understand and and to deal with what was in front of me or a present in my life. I had to accept who and where I was. And part of that was accepting myself as a, as a gay male. Right. And, you know, I mean, the things like being afraid that people were going to kill you was very prevalent where I lived. And that wasn't something I wanted to be outwardly gay anywhere. I mean, it just wasn't, unless you were a hairstylist or, you know, or a cosmetologist, you know, a beautician, You, it wasn't expected that you were ever going to be showing that anywhere. And um, I remember that when I finally got okay with that and my mother and I found out, my mother found out because I had a friend stay over and we were watching TV and we fell asleep and we were holding each other. We didn't even have sex or anything, but we were holding each other the next morning when my mother walked in. And she went off on me and I, I was 18 and I, like I said, I've been in recovery for a while. And, uh, she sent me to a gay, uh, to a Christian therapist. I want you to see my Christian therapist. And I told him exactly what I thought. And, and I told him, look, it's taken me 18 years to be okay with who I am. And I'm not going to have you scrambling my brains within, you know, the first 30 minutes I'm gay And I'm okay with it right now in this moment. And he was like... You seem
1: to have some self-acceptance internally that you drew upon at that point in your life. I I didn't have that experience.
0: I didn't have anything else left. You know, there was nothing... I had to put a base down because everything else had been shattered out from under.
1: Is that one of the points in life where, you know, you have to lose everything in order to start...
0: You know what? I think sometimes it's actually a gift... I know that in our minds, we think that, you know, rock bottom is a horrible place to be, but sometimes it's a gift because sometimes we built everything on such a crappy foundation that until you can get out there and rip that foundation out that you're never going to be able to have stability going forward. And for me, that was true. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But basically I found an ease with religion. I'll tell you that was, it was easier with my family and the other aspects that we're going to be talking about than it was with religion. Religion still haunted me until long after we were together.
1: Yeah. Same here.
0: And I know that it was that you wouldn't even let us have crucifixes in the house or like a cross hanging on the, or anything that looked stained glass, like a church. You, yeah. It was you were a like, trigger no. for me.
1: It was a trigger for me. You know, as how I was, I was a, uh, you know, an abomination and that's what The trigger was. It would remind me of that, you know, and I was avoiding it,
0: you know, in those early years. Well, So was eating shrimp and oysters. I mean, like if you look at the New Testament, (laughs) it's basically on the same page.
1: Yeah, but we, but, you know, I've moved past that. I've learned to accept myself and, you know, accepting myself, knowing that God loves me and all that. So, yeah. The New Testament was a great thing. So my self-acceptance comes, you know, internally from the heart and soul that I've I have to constantly remind myself of, but it's, it's there. It's always been a part of me. Um, I just forgot about it for a while. So thinking of who I want to be is not necessarily healthy for me. Um, it's healthier for me to think of who I am in the moment because I spend way too much time overthinking about who I want to be, who I should have been, who everyone wants me to be. I really found peace And self-acceptance in looking at who I am. I'm actually pretty good about who I am.
0: I agree. I think that you're pretty awesome, personally. So, you know, a couple of the things that we talked about at the beginning was about education and relationship. And, you know, even growing older has had a lot of impact for me, I think for both of us, on how we see ourselves and where we're going, you know, in that and, and being okay with that. I mean, it's cost my physical health has been a major issue but like even in school like um being last picked you know I uh, being put against while being picked on bullied on those type things that you don't see or hear as much about today but like back then it was it was huge you know like um we would play we didn't play dodgeball when I was in school we played smear the queer right i mean like those type things the Presidential healthness thing that back in those days, do. queer queer was a, a negative term. It was a huge negative term, and it it meant you were going to get your butt kicked. I mean, that was pretty much it in school. And if you got labeled that, you were just going to be completely picked on forever. The school bus was a miserable place, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, in relationships, we tend to we we pick people that view us the way that we view us. And and I think that's why a lot of people that have low self esteem wind up in these horrible relationships because they find someone that treats them the way that they see themselves. And I think that that's really, it, it's frustrating, you know, especially when you know and you love someone and you see them in a scenario like that. And that's I've also been in relationships where, and just like I do for me, right? I've been in relationships where I shouldn't have been there in the first place. But it's like what I, what they instead of like being in a relationship with someone for who they are, I was in relationships for what I saw they could be in them, you know, and hoping I could help them reach that. And I was in a relationship with myself because I'm like projecting this onto that person that totally wasn't fair. And I was never going to achieve happiness being there. But um, I know that I've had problems getting older in the gay community, the way you're treated, The way people handle you just in um, social media, it's been different, you know. Um, And then dealing with physicalities of uh, not being able to walk last year because of my health and those type things. So what you're saying
1: is you needed to come to terms with that and self-accept yourself in getting older and...
0: Yes, issues that you know how that relates to self-acceptance sure because like when i was younger right we we think that we're a forever thing because we are the center of our universe i mean because everything we perceive everything from me 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 just like a baby does and we don't realize it until we get more experience in life and we see people pass and we start seeing that more frequently as we get older right um but once we get to terms with the fact that we are not immortal and that our bodies are wearing out, they're changing, they're, they're growing towards, you know, they're they're not going to be the way they've always been. It's, it's hard to accept the fact that I'm in this vessel and this is where I'm at. And until we can get there and we can love ourselves for being the age we are and for the maturity level that we are, I think that that's huge in the ability to find joy and peace with where we are and who we are today.
1: So... My self-acceptance, I think, comes internally from the heart and soul. And I have to constantly remind myself to stop thinking of who I want to be and focus on thinking about who I am. And I think that's why affirmations are so important to me, because I really need to focus on who I am and not who I want to be. Does that make sense, Paul? That makes total sense. I mean, I have a habit of people pleasing to feel accepted, uh, but truthfully, that's only a temporary fix. And honestly, I get exhausted trying to gain everyone's approval all the time when actually, you know, my own approval is all that I really need to make me happy. So I remind myself to stop worrying what everyone else wants me to be and stay aware of who I am. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's not about what everyone thinks, you know, I, sh- I should have, or do I, it's not about what everyone thinks I should have done or could have done or should have been it's about, you know, me and the, and the, the now that I am. Right. And that's where I found my peace and happiness in the, I am. So my self-acceptance comes from who I am, not
0: who I want to be or who people think I should be or what job I do or what I do or, you know, those type things. I, I think that's an incredible way to, to say this and, and to kind of wrap that it's all about, finding this self-acceptance, the first thing for me was perspective, is I had to just stop and not take things so personally and take a more objective look at myself. And I think that, you know, I wrote a piece a while back, I think it's in our blogs called House of Mirrors, and it's basically about how we can find the aspects of ourselves that we don't like by the things that we see in other people that we don't like because it's a reflection of us, right? And I think that that's a, a great way to, to help do some of, or to initiate some of that shadow work, and I think shadow work is incredibly important with being able to root out those things about us that we're really not wanting to look at, but spend the time to invest in ourselves because we're worth it, right? And and move through that, move you know beyond that, evolve from it. So I think in order to do that, we have to you know first I'll put our ego on the shelf, right? That. It is all ego-based. Yeah, I I can be better. I I deserve the ability to be able to grow. I don't have to stay in the same little pot when I have this whole world and universe that I can grow into. And I think that we're restricting our ability to be our entire spiritual self if we do not take the opportunity To, to get that ego aside and say, you know, I can be better. I can change. Because a lot of times when we say, You know, how do I say this? I was told you'll never be any smarter than you are right now. And it was because I was acting in a way where I thought I knew everything. And until I could get past that, I didn't have the ability to learn anything else because everything else would just brush right off because it wouldn't stick. What is it? I think one of my recovery books says you can't graft a new idea on a closed mind. I think that's incredibly important. So being open-minded would be my next one. Um, We need to replace that loathing and that self, you know, searing towards ourselves with compassion, like treat ourselves like a friend. You said that in an earlier podcast, you know, I need to treat me like I would a friend, find a friend in me. Mm -hmm. Go back to toy Story, right? (laughs) You got a friend in me. Um, And finally, you know, just taking that perspective and moving through it and, and, Bring it into a belief system where that's part of my core. And I think once we can do that, we can be happy in the now. We can be present in the now. And, you know, we don't have to do all that people pleasing anymore because we know who we are and and we're being truthful. We're not being dishonest with that. So there is a bit of truth. You've
1: probably heard a lot of times people say happiness comes from within. And I think that's what that means.
0: Yeah, I've heard it also said happiness inside job. Same thing, yeah. Um, and I totally believe that I don't think, and, and from, I, I know there's something I can't purchase that's going to make me happy. I mean, I might be ecstatic in the moment, you know, as someone like brought me a new car or something like that. I know
1: it doesn't keep you from trying.
0: No, but you know, like making those payments (laughs) really sucks and that's part of it too. Right. So, I mean, um, the only time, and when I look back on my life, the only times I've ever been really happy were the times I was right there in that place with that person enjoying that moment right then and there's no reason right now can't be that time right so
1: all right well i'm gonna wrap things up there
0: yes sir thank you all for joining us and if you haven't been told today peace out buddy thank you for
1: listening to gay peace journeys podcast now it's your turn to spread the peace Please take a moment to share our link with anyone that might benefit from listening. Don't forget to like and follow us for more Gay Peace. We hope you'll continue your Gay Peace journey with plenty of free self-care content on GayPeace.com.